Welcome back to Noja Bene. It is a rainy day in New York City. The last week that I'm going to be in fucking year. Manhattan. Last week of the summer. School's out for summer. There's like a week of big openings here in New York, and then everyone splits town. You're out. Of, you're getting out of town, Benjamin. Yeah, of course. Thursday, as soon as I can get on the road with all the gear out east, might have to strap one of the kids to the fucking roof of the car, but we'll get there. Well, you know, we're experts at this at this point. You know, we'll have more pods all summer long. I'll come out to Sag Harbor to do some in person. We'll do some remote potting. I get Verizon showing up. As, that's why I have to get out there Thursday, because Friday morning, Verizon showing up to drop the fiber optic line. Fucking two gigs per second. It's going to rock and roll. We'll be potting hardcore. We are not Hampton Nights ourselves, but I do love my little weekends out there. Getting a pod in, going to a nice dinner. It's really fun just to dip into the sack scene. There'll be goals, but we still have been here in humid, schwitzy, sweaty New York City. Mm-hmm. Um, we got a couple pods this week, some really big ones at the Woo! tail end of this one. We're we'll cooking. be joined by Eleanor Carey uh, and Dean Kissick to discuss their show of bad painting opening at the Namad Gallery tonight. Hopefully mm-hmm. it's tonight and I get this podcast edited before then. You will. I got some things to do before that. Um, so, yeah, stay tuned for that. It's going to be an incredible conversation. But and first, then later uh, this week, we have we have others. So stay tuned. Mm-hmm. What's first? What did you do this weekend, Nate? What did I do this weekend? Uh, I just chilled mostly. A lot of chilling. I would say that that's what we did. Um, on uh, Let's go back, I think, to Thursday. That's the start of the weekend. Thursday last. Thursday last. saw a great show of... The Los Angeles artist Frances Stark, her first show at the Gladstone Gallery. Wonderful show. Really great. Um, a lot of reading. Awful lot of reading. Well, you know, she's a very literate artist. There was a great pamphlet that she put out that sort of contextualized the show, talked about the pandemic, talked about the the great combination of Gavin Brown's enterprise into the Gladstone Gallery and how that sort of affected uh her thinking about the new show, her first show in this space. Oh, that's cool. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, really interesting. They had a really fun party afterward um, at a Temple Bar, which is, you know, a real highlight of the downtown bar circuit, I would Old say. Old school, man. Old school. It's got some great Karen Kalimnik's in there. Wait, not Karen Kalimnik. Sorry, Kiki Kogelnik. Different. Very different. Very different. I get the K's. Kiki Kogelnik uh, has some work in Temple Bar. This is, you know, Temple Bar was around forever, then shut down for a few years, then it reopened, and it's great. It's Who was wonderful. there? Was 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 Gavin Brown? Gavin was there, fresh off the plane from Roma, where he opened a, a show at his little space there. Who else was there? AJ was there. I'll talk to, you know, great friend of the pod, former guest Alyssa Bennett for a oh, long time. Oh, I miss Alyssa. Uh, that was obviously a highlight. Um um, you know, of course, Miss Gladstone herself was in attendance. Was she in attendance? Mm-hmm. Good to see. Good to see. It was really fun. The, the martinis were flowing. There were DJs. Uh, Kai Altoff was DJing. Shout out Kai. Oh, that's cool. How did Barbara um, feel about the DJ such? Uh, she was into it, man. She was, she was, she was partying. Love to Drinks see it. Drinks were flowing. They had kind of the perfect sort of hors d'oeuvres. There was a lot of pigs in a blanket, sliders, crab cakes. I love a pig in the blanket. Perhaps the funniest named hors d'oeuvre and the funnest to eat. <laughs> Weirdly, my invitation must have been lost in the mail. Uh, I don't know. Um, yeah, maybe check your spam folder. That's that's, that's I guess so. unusual. It is unusual, but you know, hey, it can't always be on the A-list for a cocktail weenie wrapped who, in some phyllo dough. Who else? I, I had some great conversations with Kovic, Ben Nome, uh, was was in the cut. 
Uh, yeah, great times. Great do you times see? Do you see own. any other arts over the weekend? On Friday, I made myself. Uh, I made myself down to the Tribeca, New York HQ of the Mendez Wood Gallery. Uh, Kent O'Connor had a, a great show, uh, and then there was a little soiree at a little restaurant called Estella. Oh, great. Another Ignacio plug on the pod. Shout out, Ignacio Matos. He never gets enough love on this podcast. Nice little uh, Estella nibbles. Um, and then, yeah, that was that was basically it. Saturday, uh, I made my way over to Dean Kissick's talk with Alvaro Barrington. Oh, how was that? It was very cool, man. It was really cool. You know, I've missed some of Dean's talks. I'm really trying to make it to all of them um, because, you know, Dean, he's on today's podcast, but he's always in. He's always minds. in your heart and mind. Always in our hearts and minds. It was a really cool conversation. You know, they don't record these talks. They uh, don't let anyone uh, tape them. So they really want to encourage the guests to be very open. Um, and Alvaro was, you know, he was very frank about the art market, the art world, you know, like how he became an artist himself. He talked about how he so works with like eight different galleries. So many galleries. That's so many always galleries. been my personal knock against it. Like, you know, there's always going to be another Elvaro Barrington and another art fair. So where's the real urgency right, but, to buy I mean, this he's one? Really fascinating artist. And I think he's really making some incredible stuff. And he kind of explained, I don't want to paraphrase him necessarily, but he's sort of explained that like, you know, like he does different things for different dealers. Uh, he makes different shows for different spaces. He has different relationships with these galleries. So he's, Exploring different parts of his practices with the different galleries, and it just sort of works, I guess. Okay, okay. Um, I did not do. I was stuck here in the office sending out invoices post Basel and dealing with KYC issues. Um, so it was kind of, kind of here and like weird artist resale right contracts that artists are doing these days. Um, hmm. I think there's gonna be something coming out in the popular press about this that I think we'll comment on, uh, in the next coming weeks because I have thoughts, but I'm gonna I'm gonna wait for this something to really uh, react against. Um, I, uh, I had a very family-esque, uh, kind of weekend. We, uh, I made the family, uh, meet me after my Barry's class on Saturday morning, all the way downtown at Wild Air, because they do this thing where they like, they only sell a certain number of donuts and supposedly they're really great right. donuts. And I've always had good experiences at Wild Air with their savory food. I'm a huge uh, fan of, and of their natty the steak. Wine. Uh, and the, yeah, the, the wine list is quite, quite good. I'm um, a big fan of, of the dinner there, but I've been intrigued by this donut thing. They seem to just like tap influencers to make donuts people don't really know anything about food yeah i think they give them like the they, they give them the flavor profile of these influencers and then the bakers go to town and like you have to line up they start selling them at 12 there's only like you know maybe 30 or 40 of each of two varieties of donuts and one savory forcaccia uh so i made my family meet me on this like disgusting block that still had the refuse of the, the previous night's lower east side partying on it <laughs> my kids just uh, were grossed out by everything on the ground it was pretty gnarly wow um love those three baby yeah or, or it's yeah. on orchard whatever, yeah orchard same whatever same difference uh so they're cooling up and down like terrorizing the hungover people with their scooters which Great. was amusing they deserve uh, it yeah, so I stand in line. I, I get up there. I get two of each donuts and two of the focaccia. Uh, one of the donuts, I forget who the influencer was. It doesn't matter. Um, some sort of like bad musician, it, 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 it I think. It doesn't matter. Um, well, I'll, I'll never hear this person a, again. Um, it was somehow like a, a, a lemony uh, oh, no. a cu- a custard, like a cake donut. And then inside they had basically tapioca, like boba balls. The fuck? Come on, it was and gross, their tasteless boba balls. It was disgusting. My my daughter. So Oof. we get that. We get something with like a raspberry and I think rose uh, rose uh, petal. 
um, which looks very beautiful. It also has a raspberry jelly inside and kind of dipped in a sugar uh, and some focaccias with like vegetables on top. We, I, I make the kids, I'm like, no, you can't have them yet. We're going to go somewhere. We go to a, the park down by Seward Park to sit, mm-hmm. unpack them. My daughter takes a bite of like the, the more lemony one with the tapioca and she gives me this look of pure hatred. <laughs> like, what the <laughs> fuck did you do to me? Why did you trick me oh, into this? Man. And she's like, oh, wow. And she's like, I don't like this. <laughs> uh, sun, same thing. I'm like, oh, whatever. These, these don't have a sophisticated palate. The raspberry one's like kind of okay, but like weirdly a very greasy donut. Ugh. Like I don't think the oil was hot enough they were frying them in maybe because the oil is kind of seeped into the dough a little bit. Yeah, I don't fuck with that. Um, um, interestingly I, enough, I was at Finelli's last night. Uh, Lucy and I got cocktails with the great artist Adam Alessi and his partner Dahlia and Olivia Babin. Someone walked by carrying... A few boxes of Krispy Kreme donuts? That's a donut I can get behind. Exactly. Lucy said, you know what? Krispy Kreme's the best donut. And I'm like, yeah, they are. They're very good. Those yeah. are good donuts. Yeah, I mean, donut plant. Anytime you try and add too many flavors, like the donut donut plant does, yeah. also not good. But the wild air, it was like, I just wasn't well executed. The focaccia was also overly greasy and flavorless. Um, Really, really disappointing culinary adventure. I then, <laughs> so then it starts pouring rain. Like we're in the park. It starts like fucking like lightning pouring rain. We're soaked. And I drag the kids all the way down to fried dumpling, like way down in Chinatown. Oh, and that, that, that salvaged the day, I think for us. Wonderful. Uh, can't go wrong with, uh, with some steamed and fried dumplings. Oh, that sounds great. I mean, you know, I, I think speaking of kids and food, I think Lucy had her first mozzarella stick. At Finale's. La- Lady did. Lady yes. did. Yes. Oh, no. It, no. Lucy's probably had her fresh air. I think she's had a few. Uh, yeah, I don't know how she went a year without having a mozzarella stick because it's like kind of perfect kid food. Kind um, of. They're actually a huge choking hazard. I once had to, to, you know, you I once had to dig one out of my daughter's windpipe, actually. We, we also got some calamari, and I definitely found like a calamari wing that ring that shouldn't have been in, in my daughter's mouth for that long. But yeah, yeah. all was good. It made me nervous, actually, when I saw that picture. Um, that was kind of the weekend that was. I hung out with a friend of the pod. Uh, 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 an artist took me to a new type of exercise class called Rise Nation, where you're just on this weird thing where it's like you're climbing a mountain. My shoulders are all fucked up. It really hurt. And then we, we had to go get some, some new sneakers, and I wanted to go to GameStop or something. And we got caught in the Pride Parade. Like, you can't cross 6th right. Avenue. And we kept going down and up and like kind of amusing because got to go to pride and that's like great mm-hmm. love that love to support that well it seems like kind of like most of the cool gays i know were not in attendance but like it was a party man it was feeling yeah, good yeah ran into uh, a dealer stefania bordolami who was uh who's also trapped trying to get back to her house uh and blocked by the pride parade um but pretty fun it, only in new york kids only, only in, new york. in new york yeah it's it's the west side that really gets really crazy um, there was some trickling over to the east side, uh, you know. It I mean, felt like pride everywhere because then I, yeah. I I slept up on on the train to get out of there up to the Upper West Side uh, to grab a juice, and like it felt like it was pride up there too, even Great. though it was you know fifty blocks from the Wonderful. parade or whatever. It was nice. It was it was a nice weekend. I'm usually not in New York this weekend. It was it felt nice to be here. It was like it wasn't too hot. It was kind of it was kind of totally. it was kind of chill. Mm. Um, but not a lot of arts. Um, but I'm excited to go see the show that Eleanor and one thing I did want to mention. Been getting uh, you know. More from the announcements for upcoming shows, artist representations. I was pretty blown away that the Hauser and Worth Gallery announced that they're, I think, the worldwide representative of Flora Yekanovich. Is that how I say the name? I think so. I, I've never really heard anyone say it out loud. I've also for... never seen someone that actually cares about these paintings, other than the fact that they auction off for uh, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of dollars. Yeah, I would love to know who's buying them or even who has real interest in them because... 
you know, they're 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 floral and they're pretty and they're 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 gloopy and they're they're whatever. not good. They're not yeah. good, Nate. Yeah, they're, they're just not very good. They're not, they're not good. Yeah. Um, I believe it was showing at the Victoria Miro Gallery previously. Mm-hmm. Is that right? Um, I mean, yeah, it's just one of those things where like I just have no idea why there was a market around this this artist. Maybe there's something we're missing, but I'm not. I'm not. Maybe sure we'll is. see our first New York show of the work at the house in one of the multiple Hauser Worth locations in the tri-state area and have our minds changed. I kind of doubt it, and I, I don't know. It didn't feel like a cool pickup. I can't imagine David picking up Flora Yukonovich, Can you? No. I, I really can't. I mean, I guess they'll just like, yeah, stuff the new Soho space with them and see yeah, how it Yeah, don't goes. worry. They're going to sell them all and like you might have to buy two to get one and it'll be, you know, they'll be taking interest for sure. Are we, we going to go to this, the, the Hauser restaurant in Soho? Is that a thing we're going to do? Yeah, probably. Yeah, I think we're going to get I, I mean, mean, because the one in London is wicked good. It's really good. The thing about the one in London is that the pub just fucking rules. It's a great pub. It's like a really sick pub. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, you like, know, they're great at the hospitality game. I, know, I think we talked yeah, about that when we, we mentioned Menorca we, we last week. We have mentioned you know? this, yeah, yeah. Um, um, but I might just, not always like what's on the walls, but what's on the plate is pretty tasty. But we have our, like, go-tos in Soho. Is this going to be added to the rotation? I guess so, right? Uh, well, TBD, TBD. You know, it's going to prove itself. It'll definitely get an open mind from me. For sure, for sure. Um, Other... Interesting emails that I noticed was that uh, Nadeka Crosby was announced as the upcoming September show for the David's Werner Gallery uh, here in New York. She obviously was the artist that they opened the L.A. Gallery with uh, mm-hmm. just like a month ago or so, right? Um, which I thought was interesting just because she hadn't had a show with the gallery previously for like two to four years. Because I, I was told that the work took so long to make. She announced representation announced representation in 2018 I believe and this uh-huh. is the first show so it took five years um yeah and because what, I was told that the work took so long so it's interesting to now that she is having two shows so back to back that is interesting I didn't know that, that she was the September show I think still very much in demand we'll see if that 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 demand is still intact yeah yeah no I think I, I think it is it's just interesting to me that they were you know they take so long and they were able to get access to enough for a whole other show right but I'm excited to see it um um you know I think they're interesting works totally yeah, yeah. um I guess that is it from us I think we should get right into Dean and Eleanor at talking about their show of bad painting coming up uh, ugly painting but you know bad we'll, we'll get into that I'm sure it's good but you it's know, ugly it's good they're good paintings but they're ugly I think Dean I mean from reading the text they have a lot to say about this I'm excited to talk to them two of our favorite people Both former guests, but now they're guesting together. All right. Coming up right after after this. this. Welcome back to Note Bene. We are live from the heart of the Upper East Side at 980 Madison, where Nate and I have just had the pleasure of viewing a show of ugly paintings. The show is called Ugly Paintings. It opens tonight at Namak Contemporary and is curated by... The dynamic duo, two of my favorite people, Eleanor Carey and Dean Kissick, and we have them here right with us right now. It's pretty Isn't exciting. Incredible? It's pretty wow. exciting. What's How going on, guys? guys? They're two of my favorite Hi, people as well, one of whom I've known for many, many years, and one of whom is a new friend, a new-ish friend. What's up, guys? Hi. Hi. A guys- quick, I have a quick correction. The, the show is called Ugly Painting. Singular. Singular, yeah. Thank you for that, that correction, because that is an important distinction. As a wordsmith, these things are important. We'll get to the genesis of the show in a minute. We're definitely in the nicest setting we've ever recorded a Nota Bene podcast. TRS. Yes, absolutely. We're in uh, Joe Namad very generously offered his office uh, for this occasion. I'm and- ready to get an internship. This is dope. <laughs> <laughs> it's not a bad place to have a coffee. Anyway, for sure. following up on your big summer show last year in the same gallery, 
um, which was called, Nate, remind me? The Painter's New Tools. The Painter's New Tools. We have a second in what's now a yearly series of shows co-curated by you two, looking at where we are at as a visual culture and maybe making some propositions about things that are happening or things you would like to perhaps see happen. How did this show come about? What is the genesis of a show of ugly painting? Well, I'll start by saying we did the show together last summer, The Painter's New Tools, which was about um, painters using technology to make paintings or to compose paintings in, in different ways to, to how they were made in the past. Uh, and that, this was your idea, I think, and we were speaking about that from the first meeting we had about doing a show, and it was it all went very smoothly, I think. Like, it all came together very well and naturally. And we had so many ideas of artists we wanted to have in. Uh, but this time, coming up with... This time it was a lot harder, I think. Like, we, we went through lots of different ideas um, before we ended up at Ugly Painting. But I'm glad, I'm glad it happened, because I think we ended up in a really good place. I agree. Uh, at first, I wanted to do a show about beauty, though. Dean said beauty. Think about beauty. Wow. And it really messed my mind up because I, I, I honestly don't think about beauty. Um, and Dean, you, I think you were doing an episode, an issue of your magazine all about beauty. I, I, I don't believe you that you don't think about beauty. I know you don't believe me, but it's true. I really don't think of it. You're dressed in beautiful clothing. Oh, thank you. You Dad. surround yourself with beautiful things and beautiful right. friends. Mm-hmm. But just the idea of, of a show about beauty. Or just the idea of a beautiful painting. I mean, I, yeah. I Don't mean, we want I, to be surrounded by beautiful ideas and beautiful things? For sure. But I think, to me, you know, something radical is beautiful. I don't necessarily think. I mean, I. I well, saw, we're going to we get to the, the sub, we're gonna yeah. get to the subjective nature of okay. beauty and ugly. I think very okay. quickly because, like, that's at the heart of the matter, right? Mm-hmm. Which wants me to ask: as you're assembling this artist list, if I think I just counted 28 uh, artworks, I could be off by a couple because math wasn't my major. But what was your criteria for selecting whether a practice or a particular work fall, fell under the rubric of ugly painting? Well, we came up with a a definition. Uh, for the purposes of the show, which is explained in a couple paragraphs in the exhibition text. So we're not defining um, ugliness for the whole world, but we came up with a definition just for the purposes of this show. And and we're looking at figurative painting. It's ugly figurative painting. If you wanted to title the show really accurately, you'd probably call it ugly figurative (laughs) painting or ugly non-realist figurative painting but yeah that's not as catchy it was a decision to leave to leave abstraction off the table for Mm -hmm. for this for the purpose of this show yeah yeah so to quote from your your press list you're looking at figurative painting that makes deliberate use of grotesque garish or abject styles of brushwork representation composition or coloring to form a singular vision painting that is bold, confrontational, and confident rather than pretty, decorative, polite, conservative, or overly realist. Exactly. Yeah, and one, I guess one key distinction there is that the the ugliness should come from the style in which it's painted rather than the content. Though some of these works do have ugly content, uh, some you'll see kind of are pretty realist, but mm. um, but yeah, we're really thinking about 
ugly style. And when we were approaching people, we were talking about a lineage of, yeah, you know, h- historically important, what you call, call ugly or grotesque paintings, like some, uh, one of the examples we had was Titian's Flaying of Marcias, mm-hmm. a very late work of his, possibly his last. And then it turned out Alex Carver was working on a version of that or had painted a version of that. So fortuitously, we were also thinking about Bacon, Um, you know, kind of an obvious example. And we have this Murakami from Murakami's. We have a triptych from his series of works remaking Bacon's. Um, But we were were looking at stuff like that, de Kooning or Tintoretto or Picasso's Demoiselles. I mean, I even thought of like Frank Auerbach when I walked in. Uh, oh, that's a good one. Because the first yeah. work you see, at least that I saw as I walked in the door, was a painting by George Kondo, right? It does have an Auerbach vibe. Yeah, totally just something about right. the line yeah. work to it. But anyway, what was, I'm, and these things always come in groupings probably, but what were some of the first artists that immediately occurred to you yeah. that would be right for inclusion? I mean, I think Jana Euler was somebody that was super high mm-hmm. uh, on our list of thinking about the idea of ugliness um nicole eisenman uh-huh. um i mean really uh, the list evolved a bunch but the core group of artists really did come together quite quickly um and there are artists in the show that are not known for this style necessarily but that we found works that represented that that fit into the context of the show who would you say was like high on your early thinking i think euler mm-hmm. was number one mm-hmm. another artist we think we can talk about like an artist mm-hmm. we didn't get and we didn't think we were going to get but who I think you know would have been perfect for this was Geneva Ellis mm-hmm. um, she's like a master ugly painter um, Jana Euler was actually profiled by Rachel Wetzler I think we quote her in the in the yeah. text and mm-hmm. we quote her more at length in this uh, weighty exhibition guide that's available in the show but she, she Which wrote, is amazing. When you come see the show, guys, definitely pick that up. There's insight from all of the artists, either from interviews from the past or or mm, comments they gave us on the work. I was looking at it at the desk. And it does look very, very thorough. Really it's cool. It's really good. Yeah, we have 14 pages of lore on, <laughs> on all the artworks. I love it. It's, it's so scholarly. Um, it's a amazing nice, in, that, in that sense. But it's fun. It's, fu- it's funny. It's cool. It's, most of, it, most of it's in the artist's own words. But Rachel wrote a great piece about Jana for Art in America, probably mm. around the time of her artist space um, show, which is titled The Good, the Bad, and the Ugly. And, and she, from the very beginning, makes this case that Jana Euler is, a, is an ugly painter, but not a bad painter. And she talks about this, what the distinction between those terms is for her. She talks about... Uh, Marsha Tucker's show, yeah. Bad Painting. Yeah. I mean, I was bring yeah. That, yeah. that was something. we were thinking about that yeah. show a lot. Because that's not what this is in dialogue with, right? This is not about bad. Well, we we, we thought about is, yeah. We thought about doing that. That was that was uh, part of the process, I think. We went we went through a bad painting phase. Uh-huh. We were thinking about doing bad painting too, <laughs> but um, we can't really do that because it's not. It's not our idea to take because uh, Marsha Tucker's deceased. We can't even ask for her permission. But also, I think, I, I think if you look at, like, Marsha Tucker has this de- definition of bad art. It's, it's kind of a loose definition, but she's talking about 
artists who like break with convention in some way or in, engage with bad taste or break the pictorial rules. She talked a lot rules. about taste, which is... Yeah. You know. mm-hmm. and, and her show is looks great, I think, if you go back and look at it. It's aged well. But, but I think it's just... Uh, I think so much of art would fit into her criteria of bad painting now. Huh. Like if you go around a fair, um, independent, for example, I'd say most of the paintings in that show would probably fit in that idea of bad painting. But, but there, also there, there aren't really any rules to break anymore. So well, because, it doesn't work. I mean, well, so I was going to get to the, the subjective because there's a notion of taste, right? Like what is beauty? What is ugly? And there's a certain kind of internationalist taste of what people have in their houses or on their walls or their furniture. And it's kind of being reflected in my view right now. Actually, there's a certain mm-hmm. type of furniture and art that you'll mm-hmm. see that is clearly good taste. You'll see it in the pages of Architectural Digest and whatnot. And it's very clear. And then, you know, kind of what is the, you know, what is in this particular moment, what does it mean to have bad taste? Um, and kind of what are, you know, That's what does that mean question. politically and also artistically, right? Like to be like, fuck that. I don't, well, I don't want to be breaking with convention and just, yeah, doing something kind of gaudy and bombastic and yeah i mean gaudy is like you know and there's a lot of gaudiness i'd say well, in the style in in the brushwork and yeah. in, in a lot of the work sure, there's, a gaudiness. there's a there's a like i could stop now but i'm going to keep going and keep pushing yes. forward right. beyond maximalist. what the yeah. maximalist exactly i think there was also you know for me and dean and i talked about this a bunch i think there's a difference between de-skilled which is a big trend we see around today mm-hmm. and i don't think any of the artists in this show have that style this this de-skilled kind of um uh, style of painting, like a Robert Nava, for example. Mm. Uh, we, you know, we tried to stay away from that idea, right. uh, or artists that were, which is a thing in its own right, and mm. it would be cool to see someone do a show on that. But that's not what, what this is. I mean, these are all very skilled, um, you know, styles of painting. The ugliness think, is intentional, and it's come out of the sort yeah, of, for uh, sure, you know, extended process. Uh, you know, right? It's the end of something, right? Yeah, yeah. And not not everything is supposed to be bad taste at all. In fact, you know, playing with ugliness, with grotesque style can be very tasteful. Um, We want the paintings to be good. Mm -hmm. You know, we want everything to be good. And some of the more some of the things that are very tasteless, I think, <laughs> come from me, and and maybe like and it took and it took a while to kind of convince everyone to go with this. But you, but but you and it was actually that? something I thought. I think Matthew Stone would uh-huh. be the mo- would be like a, the clearest but example. But I love of your that. painting, Matthew Stone. Um, <laughs> it's not true. No, that I mean I this is good to have something that but you know pushes a little bit. You know, the, the collaboration we were just looking at, like mm-hmm. Benjamin and Jonas, like that, that. That's, I think, an example. Um, it's something Jamian does a lot. But I'd say actually she hasn't done it with her work in this show. But she's definitely yeah. like she's yeah. really. Funny. She gave us the she's least ugly painting she ever made, actually. <laughs> Uh, I think Jared Madeira plays around with oh, yeah, this also sure. mm. um this sort of maximalist over the top gaudy but you know I think it, it I think it works in all with all for all of them actually but I don't mean it to be but it it does feel a little bit of the moment for me like there's a lot of artworks that I've been thinking of I think people are talking about artistic no, we practices mean it to be. No. so yeah. also, so that makes that makes me want to zoom out just a little bit and wondering what it says about this particular cultural and political moment perhaps if anything that this work is having a specific resonance right now? Well, the world is crazy. 
True story, it's, yeah. It's always been crazy, I think. I but but that. it's certainly apparent how it crazy it is now. now right? it, it feels, exactly, it feels crazier now. And I can't say for sure if it is or it isn't, but it definitely feels crazier now. And if it feels crazier, then it, it is crazier because right. we experience it as crazier. So I think you need, or no, you don't need to, but but I think it's good for art, the arts, culture, um, to to reflect that craziness or to try to channel or embody or pervert that craziness I also somehow. think that, that on artists, I think we've been seeing some conformity uh, in the art making world for a while. And I think there's a, 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 a I've noticed a, more of a push away from it. Artists are kind of uh, not taking more contrarian points of views, but I think they're just ready to make their, you know, to, to, to stand out and not to conform as much. Yeah. And I think there's maybe a exhaustion with too much literal or realist representation mm -hmm. or with just recreating our lives. That's true in um, literature. It's true, I think, in uh, painting. In, in it's, there's an idea of a, the crisis of representation, which uh, we, we mention in the text. It's um, mm -hmm. something this writer Sam Chris said. But his idea is that we just had... If, if so much of what art and culture is doing is just kind of recreating our everyday lives, then at some point we're going to get bored of that and we're going to want something that's not, that doesn't just reflect ourselves back at us. Um, zooming out a little bit, because uh, this is the second year in a row you guys have collaborated on an exhibition together. So we have Eleanor, who's a great art advisor, um, collector, philanthropist uh, and Dean who's a great cultural critic and writer what what do you think is about the frisson of your different positions like what draws you together to work on these things is it my guess is and tell me if I'm wrong it's a part of an ongoing conversation you guys are having outside of the gallery yeah uh, and these are kind of punctuation points perhaps over the past two well, years yeah Dean and I started our relationship kind of looking at art together and having these great conversations and when the opportunity arose Joe you know I had worked on a show with Joe um it before the David Hammond show mm -hmm. with the Kool-Aid and basketball show. and had a great experience working with the gallery, Joe and his amazing staff. So Joe said, Oh, why don't you do the summer show? And I was, I didn't even think twice. The only person I actually really wanted to have that conversation with was Dean. And we, and the show was about things we were already talking about. So it, like Dean said, it was a much more natural progression. But when we were doing the show last year, Joe started saying, oh, save that for next year's show. So it was sort of like <laughs> implied that, you know, there would be a next year's show. And, you know, I think the conversation between Dean and I is we do come from very different places. You know, Dean actually studied curating. Um, so he has so that sorry. background. He so went sorry. to the Courtauld. He's a very educated. Uh, you know, he's coming from, a, I think, a world where he does think like that, but he doesn't have the opportunity to because he's, you know, spending all his time writing. And it, I also wanted to see what he would do as a fan of his writing. I wanted to see what, what a show, you know, what would it look like, to, you know, for Dean to put on a show. So it was, uh, that's where it started, really. And other than your educational background curating, I think last year was your last lease that I know of show in a gallery that you curated. And this is the second? Or am I totally off base? Yeah, yeah, okay. yeah. What's the experience been like for you working both with Eleanor more broadly, like, T going from the realm of ideas into like physical objects that need to exist in a, in a three-dimensional live space? Um, you know, 
for me, it's really psychedelic, actually, to, to, see, to see something like this happen. I, I really felt this last year when we were installing, especially last year we had some huge works, like big, heavy, scary works. I mean, physically huge, imposing things. But also I felt this um, last week. We did, we did pretty much the whole install on Wednesday, like everything placed and hung and being there. Something Joe, I think, is particularly good he's at. Great. He, he he's has this, a great eye for he's very good at just, and he's decisive. But it's just not an experience I've ever had of, um, you're in this gallery, windowless gallery, full of like big works, many of them by artists I never thought I would be working with or involved with in any way. And there's all these art handlers and people just like, these works are just flying from wall to wall. Like everything <laughs> has just been reconfigured around you, reconfigured around you. Uh, it's just like a video game. It's like a strange dream. Um, it's also very interesting to me just to get like some, some access or some insight into like how the market really works, uh, where power resides, like where decisions are made, because I think a lot of that is... Uh, very opaque for it's writers penetrate, mm. yeah. certainly for me you know i i only moved if i was writing about art before i moved to new york like this whole world like new york art world is almost completely opaque mm -hmm. it's very interesting to get like a glimpse of yeah. what's really going on and starting at 980 madison you're like <laughs> you're, you're really you're <laughs> peeking behind the veil at the highest highest realm um and i would say you know based on my experience viewing the show last year and this year, I mean, it seems as though this is a much more pared back show. Uh, it's much more to my eye, like it looks elegantly hung, which is maybe necessary because some of the work is so quote unquote tough or, or bordacious in its kind of physical presence. Um, I'm not sure if that was a conscious choice or not, but it looks really beautiful. Um, one thing I've experienced when I've curated shows, the, the movement from emailing images back and forth and making checklists and talking about it and writing about it. And then the moment when you begin to unpack these things and experience them in real life the uh, for perhaps the first time, what did you learn what, like, about individual works or the, the play of particular works between each other? Kind of what was that experience? I like? was much more worried about how everything would look together and how we would make good pairings and make sense out of it physically on the wall. Cause I mean, all the, all the individual works we loved and we thought they made sense. And I, and they are, a lot of them are quite maximalist. And, um, what but I, I actually was surprised. I think, I really think there was, it was not difficult to hang the show in the end. Mm. Like Dean said, we did it in one day. Um, and there was, you know, the, the work really does complement each other, I think. Is there a particular pairing that you think really surprised you um, in, in the way that it, it sort of let works play off each other? I really like how Jamie and looks next to the Richard Prince. Mm -hmm. I think um, that's, that's what I was going to say. Yeah, that whole wall. Good, that that yeah. wall Connor is great wall with, is really Ma special. Yeah, with Marie. With, uh, with Connor, Marie. Connor. I think it, those three look really great together. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, Alex Carver's work looks good with everything. You know, he's such a great artist. He's actually the only artist who's in both shows. Oh, oh. Richard Prince. Right. Richard Prince that's, that's and Alex Carver. Our two right go-to yeah. artists, Carver yeah, and Prince. Exactly. Yeah. You don't do a show without Alex Carver and Richard Prince. <laughs> yeah. But, you yeah. know. I, I, I like that room as well. Yeah. It's very bombastic. I mean, the whole room has, 
the, the main room has about six works, but that's the place where it's Jared Maderi, Alex Carver, yeah, and Jana really Euler, and that's that's a lot of like very loud work side by side. But it worked. It, it really works. did. But going back to your question before about, um, you know, the the last work to arrive was Machu Maloof's. The last work to like arrive and be unwrapped. It's one of my favorites. And that was in the show. very exciting because it's this giant, giant painting of penguins smoking weed. It's at the <laughs> exact same dimensions and kind of composition as Les Demoiselles d'Avignon. And we were waiting and waiting on the day of install. The handlers were supposed to have Everything gone was home, home just waiting somehow. For wow. We needed to make sure this work actually made sense there. So it was very cool. Like, and everyone gathered around when this, it was a real this moment. huge yeah. penguin smoking weed thing finally came through the door and everyone like started unwrapping here. it. There are some plates on there as well. A little nod to Mr. Schnabel, I believe. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, inspired by a Reed Schnabel Mitch's painting piece, of yeah. um, Van Gogh's garden, which hangs at Casa Cipriani, <laughs> I believe. Guess who takes Machu to Casa Cipriani? <laughs> <laughs> was, uh, <laughs> was Julian ever on the artist list? Um, Julian Schnabel. Schnabel. Oh, yeah. interesting. Well, we did talk about him at he, one he point. He could have worked. Um, yeah, we talked about him at one point. We'd want really recent work, but Which yeah, that's, yeah. Maybe yeah, just, okay. just but, do but a I, I, Julian Matthew show next year. I, I would say <laughs> that's a good idea for Joe. <laughs> something I really wanted, and we'll see if this happens tonight. But I was um, when we were working on the show last year, uh, we went together to see among we saw Avery Singer's show at Hauser and Wirth. Mm-hmm. The one upstairs. Oh yeah, maybe you didn't like that. Maybe didn't. I I really like this show, and I felt like it's it's so big and garish, and it's kind of like just obnoxious and loud. And, and it made and looking at that show, I thought, oh, I bet I bet that's or this is like how I would have imagined New York painting shows in the eighties to mm-hmm. be oh, like, like Schnabel and Sally and all this like energy and 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 I was hoping uh, I hope that this has some of that and that when it's like crowded at the opening, it'll have some of that kind of just like Neo-Geo crazy, energy. confident, <laughs> obnoxious that may 80s make, that, New York energy. That, that little anecdote will kind of uh, may reframe my understanding of that practice. That's helpful. Thank you, Dean. Um, Dean's good at that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, I want to applaud you and thank you for having an opening on a Monday night. I hate <laughs> is, Thursday and Friday is openings that sarcastic? so much. No, no, okay, good. This is great. no, I love I also like Monday Mondays. Okay. I have nothing else going on. Okay, you got to seize the day when there's good. nothing going on. I love it's being just uptown. Like, it's a I get it. We got you, Ben. Um, and, and I'm excited to see. I think you guys are going to get like a packed house up in yeah. here. I'm like happy young it people raining. downtown, uptown. It's beautiful out. A little schwitzy for me, but that's okay. <laughs> it's um, it's going to be quite the night, and I cannot wait to, to celebrate. Did I miss any burning questions, Nate, that we had on the ride up here? Uh, I don't. I mean, what's the plan for next year? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> that's a good question. Yeah, you know, no idea. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you know. Would you guys like the idea of an annual? Yeah, of oh, course. Very much so. Are you yeah. kidding me? Yeah. yeah, I want to see the state of the world, you okay. know, through through your two particular overlapping but disparate visions. Right. I think, I think, it really I is think helpful. we should do a third, finish the trilogy, but I have no idea what that could possibly <laughs> be. Well, well, maybe I mean, we have to start talking about sculpture, Dean. Right. Can't sell sculpture, sculpture bro. It's not about selling it. But the thing is, you know, <laughs> well, look at where we are, man. <laughs> the summer group show no, Joe is, is super cool and laid back. He really just likes to be around you know more contemporary art than he's used to and and he's he's he loves looking at it learning about it so joe is very open yeah, no, he just walked through. He looked, 
genuinely ecstatic at, yeah, at the he's, show. He's like, great. you know, just like bright eyed. Um, but no, the summer group show has become such a cliche and kind of like a slog that you have to get through. And, mm. you know, two years in a row, you guys have brought a really, really exciting, daring group show to the Upper East Side. Thank um, you, mate. And uh, I think that New York just should thank you for that. Yeah, I look forward to celebrating with you both tonight. And thanks for making the time for the podcast, guys. Thank you, guys. Thank that you, was so Thank fun. you. Always a pleasure Cheers. with you, too. All right. Note to Bene. Out. Out.